I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters, Stephen Barnes and Tananarie Du, talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips about how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, oh, here we are. Yay. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. They are super excited today. That's they not, really are. I didn't just do that because my regular applause didn't work. Anyway, that's their super excited applause. But of course, why wouldn't they be super excited? It's so great to be alive. It's so great to be back. It's wonderful. I'm so great to be a lot writers. Of people, you know, boy, there was some, you know, bad news today, and there's bad news somewhere in the world every day. So it's really important to stay focused on the things that are going to let you live a life of, of meaning and joy. Absolutely. And even though our podcast isn't only for artists, I'm sure there's some of you who listen to this who are fans who are not necessarily artists. We definitely do also want to reach out to artists and help you sort of keep your bearings during uncertain times, to say the least. You know, anytime I hear news coming out of the strike or negotiations, whether it's for the WGA or for SAG, it's all very anxiety inducing because we are clearly 
in changing times. And how do you navigate changing times as an artist? That is a question for the ages. But yeah, uh, I mean, I kind of wonder, you know, in the future, will people look back and think that this was comparable to when sound came into film? I wonder. It's it's certainly possible. It you know, is. We just, we just don't know. So the important thing is to be aware, alert, flexible, and stay out of the bottom 20% of your field. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> hey, I have a great idea. Before we bring on our, our great guest today, who yes. is screenwriter Zach Stentz, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. spirit you know. <laughs> so what's happening with you sweetheart you you were you've been busy the last few days i have been i have to give a shout out to juneteenth mm-hmm. which i admit i i grew up in kind of a blackity black household we were doing kwanzaa we were doing practically the homeschooling on black history black history comic books you name it nothing about juneteenth in the do household so while i was very pleased when between vice president kamala harris and 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 president joe biden there was an official juneteenth holiday it really didn't necessarily hit me in the gut the way it would have if it had been something that was always a part of my tradition so right. that has changed now that has changed because my sister janita who works for CNN, invited me to come to the Juneteenth concert that aired on CNN on Monday. And it just lit me up from gospel singer Kirk Franklin, whose work I knew, but he led with Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is the the Negro National Anthem, as it's called, the song that was every banquet, every NAACP meeting my family ever dragged me to, although now they're very fond memories. (laughs) It, that was, that was, I got it. I got the the notion because there's so much in the headlines and in my own work, frankly, about Black pain. So why not make more room for Black joy? And that's what that felt like, just being surrounded by strangers, really of all ethnicities, but majority Black, everyone grinning and having a great time listening to music old and new. Some of these artists I had never heard of, but everyone put on a great show. Questlove was the musical director. So as soon as I saw that the band was going to be the same band for every performer, I was like, okay, it doesn't matter who these performers are because this band is tight and this is about to be a great concert. And it was. So I'm really, really glad I did that. And congratulations to Johnita and CNN and the producers, the other producers who put on the show. It was so great. That's wonderful. And lots of people also, saw me dancing. <laughs> yes, and you were on Instagram dancing, weren't you? Um, well, LeVar Burton said he saw me dancing. I mean, based on the number of people I've heard of who saw me dancing, the ratings should have been through the roof. <laughs> you also gave a talk on Saturday. I did. I, I gave a screenwriting lecture at Antioch University, Los Angeles, which is where I used to work as adjunct faculty for many years before I found that I just didn't have time between that and UCLA. But from time to time, I do come in and I give a talk. And it was really sort of an overview talk. Of course, they were all so nervous about the strike. Is there a future, you know, is what they're worried about. And I really wanted them to focus on the part of the equation they can control, which is the work on the page and the work they put into perfecting their craft and learning how to navigate Hollywood once it opens back up again. 
just basically an overview of everything you need from pitching to making your scripts look more professional to some writer's room basics, just at a very basic level to demystify it. Yeah, it was the them. way you came back talking about it that made me think that it's probably time for us to do another another live workshop. I think so. Um, I think so we're talking it, August 15th. Well, that's what we're saying. That's I what mean, we're saying right now. You'll get more information about that later. I Let's see, with me, the paperback on Eightfold Path came out. I worked, wanted to do that for 20 years. And Yay! Because of John Jennings at, at Megascope. We, I literally did not even know that. <laughs> so you're yeah, just not telling I, I got, me this. I have other things in my heart that you have yet to learn as well. Oh, oh that and is one so day, great. Well, that deserves some applause right I will not be too shy Paperback. But, you know, Go we've ahead. won awards now and, you know, gotten wonderful reviews and so I feel like like our baby found enough of a home for me to feel like, you know, there was a conversation to be had and I managed to express myself and there was someone on the other side who heard it and could give me a response to it. And so that, that aspect of the artistic impulse has been satisfied. I mean, I'll say it would be nice if it sold a million copies, but the fact is that it's, give me a couple of people who who saw it and read it and got it and can can, you know, interact with me about it. And I feel very happy. Well, that. you should really be, blessed. and as a matter, I also happen to know that mm. you all are also going to be hosted by the Ray Bradbury Center and a program being put together by Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis in September to talk yes. about Eightfold Path. So, absolutely, it well, has- we'll talk, talk. It's not to talk about Eightfold Path, although we we will talk about it. It's primarily to talk about Ray Bradbury. Um, oh, I see. And Eightfold Path will be on sale there because when I was working on those stories, I was certainly thinking about Ray Bradbury's work, you know, because mm-hmm. as a short story writer, he was just, he was wonderful and he spanned so many different genres. So I was trying to, to do something similar to that only from specifically a Buddhist perspective. There was a, a particular thing that I, that I was trying to do there. So Eightfold Path, talking about Ray Bradbury, Bradbury, and I had about five or six different specific points of contact over the course of my life that were very important to me. Mm. So sharing those is a real honor. It's a real honor and joy. But those are are the most important things. I want to tell people again, get out and see Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And the blackening, by the way. Oh, did you hear that Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse as of this taping went back to the number one spot? No, I did not. I know that in the first week it made more money than the original did in its entire run. And I know that I believe it, it crossed half a billion dollars worldwide now. Yay! So, so that's very exciting. It's too. just done. It's done wonderfully, and we saw the Flash, which, while enjoyable enough, you can feel that they were swinging too hard to try to get a home run. You know, you catch a wisp of de- a wisp of desperation, a whiff of desperation from DC. They're wondering why their stuff isn't working the way it should. Marvel's stuff isn't working as well as it should at this point but sony i think in terms of their animation has done something wonderful i mean I, I, I wish i wish luck to dc i wish luck to marvel you know there's enough room enough room for success for everyone you know I, I i don't have any ill feelings about that even if i have some ill feelings about certain things that have happened in connection with some of these stories i want there to be lots of great great genre anyway that's well, you know the, what a- well, go ahead. Should we bring in our guests? Yes, I think it's time to bring in our guests. 
I thought it might be a great time since, you know, this is no no stranger to a comic adaptation either. <laughs> Zach Stentz, recently EP on Netflix's Rim of the World, also 50 episodes of Jurassic World Camp. Yes, Jurassic World. 50 episodes. That's amazing. Previously worked on a drama, drama, which you guys will talk about, Agent Cody Banks, The Twilight Zone, Terminator, The Sarah Connor, Chroni- Sarah Connor Chronicles, which, which we watched and enjoyed. Fringe, X-Men First Class. He was also a writer and consulting producer in the DC Entertainment production, The Flash. Is that The Flash that we were just talking about? Or is that the other another The Flash? The television. Right. Any oh for television, yay! So he will tell us all about it. Welcome to our studio, Zach. Unmute yourself, Zach. You're still muted. Oh, there you go. Hi, everyone. And yes, it was oh the TV version. Calm down. People, <laughs> calm down. The yes, man was, trying to talk. The CW show was the version of the Flash that I worked on, not the lady uh, in the front row. Don't throw those. Nope. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he worked on the TV series as a consult as a consultant, which is super exciting. And I know that a lot of people love that series. Yeah, well, you so, were working on Andromeda when we met. If I that was my very first that that was that was my very first TV show that I ever worked on back in the two thousands. I had been a journalist before that, although an, an aspiring screenwriter. And although it was not my first encounter with your work since I, I, I read Dream Park back in high school and, and have been a, have been a fan, have been a fan ever, ever since. I thank you. I kind of came, came to that from, came to that from, from the other Niven Purnell stuff. And then it was like, who is this Stephen Barnes? Who is this Stephen Barnes? I'm still trying to figure out. Seems to add a certain, certain bit of je ne sais quoi to the It's just (laughs) adding a, a sous-son of, color of, of <laughs> a certain, you know, je ne sais quoi. Anyway, I, you know, one of these days I'll probably talk about the collaborations, but tell me how exactly you got that first job. I got that first job in an interesting way. I was working with a writing partner at the time, Ashley Edward Miller, who I had met on the internet. And we had arguing about Star Trek, not with each other, with other people. And, um, and Ash and I had started writing together because we were both, he, he was working as a defense contractor back in DC. And I was up in the Bay Area working as a journalist, but we both wanted to be screenwriters and we started writing together. And then there was also someone else I befriended on the internet named Robert Wolf. And he was the only person I knew in the entertainment industry. Wow. He was working on Deep Space Nine, which I was a huge fan of. And uh, I got to know Robert a little bit when my wife and I moved to LA in the late nineties and, uh, and, and through various circumstances, Robert knew that Ash and I were aspiring screenwriters and we managed to get an invitation to go in and pitch for Andromeda. And we did our, you know, we, we came in with seven ideas for stories and I think we ended up selling five of them. And, uh, and got to got you know like like for whatever reason we clicked with what Robert wanted to do with the show and and we got one of those one of those we got to go to script on as freelancers and we kind of knew it was an audition for it was an audition for staffing and we did well enough that you know on on April Fool's Day. 2000 we got we we got the invitation for our first our first television staff job and oh it's wonderful so exciting if, if you remember you remember syndicated action hours right 
you know, it was, it was the, you know, it was kind of the lowest rung of the entertainment industry, or at least in scripted television in some ways, but, you know, like you had these tiny budgets, you were generally filming in like, you know, a where a rainy warehouse in Canada and it was heaven. You got paid mm. to write scripts and it was a lot more money than journalism paid. And that uh, is for sure. We were, <laughs> we were in this little, in this little complex of bungalows across from what was then CBS Radford. And we, we, we it was nicknamed the syndicated action hour ghetto because it was, it was like us. It was Cleopatra 2525. It was Relic Hunter. It was like all of these different, all of these different shows that, that you could see at, you know, 2 p.m. on Saturday on channel 82 or, you know, something <laughs> like that. But it was, it was wonderful. We were there, we were there for three seasons. Nice. We ended up jumping from that to the UPN, the, the short-lived not your twilight, not the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, the short-lived UPN Twilight Zone of the early two thousands. That was that Larry Fishburne. The was the was the Forrest Whitaker. Okay, and uh, and uh, at the same time we had gotten you'll you'll see right behind me Agent Cody Banks. Yes. So we had like in early two thousand three we an episode of Andromeda we had written like eight months before aired. Our Twilight Zone episode aired and Agent Cody Banks came out in the theater and we we're looking at each other and we we're like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to rule Hollywood. Everything's going to be great. Then no one hired us again for three years. Wow. <laughs> that, wow. That's a great that's, story. In that so is a great story. Ways. Yes. You, what, you, what you basically did was, you know, you gave your formula for getting into the industry. You know, you already knew how to write from journalism. Okay. And then you networked over the internet to find other people of, of similar tastes and somebody who was on the inside who then gave you an invitation. You came up with ideas that worked for them. So you served them. You got your chance starting at the bottom. And how did you survive those three years? I have an incredibly brilliant wife who who has a degree degree in economics as well as law and she helped you know shepherd shepherd our money very well and robert when we first got hired on on andromeda gave a very good warning he said boys this is a feast or famine industry the first thing you need to do is put away a year in savings and and we did we listened to him and we did, we socked you know we didn't do any extravagant purchases. We socked away money. And then Leah, my wife, was able to make that that year <laughs> almost three years. Mm. And and you know, we got a couple of freelance things in there. We got a couple of freelance things in there. At one point, we actually we sold a movie to Disney that I was really ha- that like most movies never get made. But it wasn't until, you know, 2006 that we got like or no, yeah, like late to yeah, like 2006, 2007 when we got hired on the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And mm. it was like we're about to go, you know, like we're about to go under there. So, you know, we 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 get hired on the Sarah Connor Chronicles and about 6 months in we go on strike. Oh, that was that for, that it was back like, in 2007 it 2008. Not, it could not have financially come at a worse time. It could not have come at a at a worse time financially. So, so there, there, there was that was a white knuckle event that particular strike, and it wasn't until you know we came back from the strike and we were able to do a full season, and then during that time we got hired on Thor, and that was when 
that was when things really, really started cooking for us. That uh, is great. You you seem to, to, to move quite deftly between television and film, which is something that is mysterious to a lot of television writers. How, how, do you see the, how, how are you able happen? to do that? Yeah, and, and, and what do you see as the differences, the similarities and the differences? I, I mean, I mean, all filmmaking and TV making is a collaborative medium, unless you're shooting it on your iPhone, because it's you dream it up in your brain and then millions of dollars and dozens, if not hundreds of people are involved. But if film is a collaborative medium, TV is a super collaborative medium because you're generally a member of a writing staff. You're on a schedule, you know, like like there's not time to make anything perfect. There's you know, it's it's that thing. What do they say about art? You know, like you're you're never finished. You only like abandon things. When you, Pretty much. Is, yes. Art isn't finished. It escapes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's frankly, uh, it's a lot more like journalism. It's it's that you're on deadline, and you know, it's 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 like a, a, a journalist friend called it the running in front of a thresher. Mm. You know, like you're running, and the and the grain thresher is behind you, and you're throwing scripts into it as fast as you can, hoping that it doesn't run you, hoping that it doesn't run you over. Amazing. You know, it makes me want to go directly into a question we usually end for, leave for the end. How do you stay sane? How do you deal with that stress? And I've in life, you are rewarded for how much stress you can take without cracking. That is certainly going to be true in Hollywood, the kind of situation you're talking about. How do you do it? I haven't always done it the best, honestly. I have a I have a tough time. I'm I'm not one of those people who can, you know, go and sit down and work for a certain number of hours and then and then put it in a box and and leave it for the rest of the day. Like a lot of writers, I've always got, you know, like like you're never off the clock. It's you're in the shower and you you solve the story problem. You know, so so the, and there have been times when my work has been particularly stressful when I've I've realized it's like, oh, my God, like like where did that, you know, like I'll snap at the, my kids and it'll be like with that anger wasn't didn't belong to them. That that anger was from something bad that happened to me at work that and and that's usually a sign that I need to change something in my that's that's something that a sign that I need to change something at work so that I so that I don't do that. But, you know, in, in terms of staying sane, it's it's, you know, t- taking breaks and uh, and it, this sounds like a cliche, but I try and get out in nature. I, yes, I, I was about get to out say in that. Nature. You spend a lot of time out hiking and things. Yeah, I I I I I have dogs, so I I go hiking with the dogs a lot. And when I do, I try like that phone. I, I that phone stays in the pocket. It's it's I think I think you know like social media has been an amazing tool for me. I've gotten jobs from it. Same and and, <laughs> yeah. and, and met some incredible people for it. But it's also like an incredible double edged sword. You can you know have a have had a drink and be feeling a little spicy and blow up your entire career over the course of sure a, a- uh, over the course of an ill-fated evening and that's I've seen it happen and re- I've seen it happen in real time so I really try you know like I deleted Twitter from my phone so I can only I can only access it from my desktop and mm. and I have a rule that like Unless I'm like taking a photo of like a cool little caterpillar crawling across the trail, 
that phone that phone stays in the, stays in the pocket while I'm while while I'm out. It's about it's about being in the moment, and it's about it's about realizing that you know when you see a hawk flying overhead that that hawk just doesn't care about any of our problems. Right? Mm. And it's just it's there's something about the non-human world about interacting with nature and the non-human world that I find incredibly centering. Hey, you know what, Zach, I do the next best thing to that. I watch a lot of programming about other people getting in touch with nature on bikes and doing survival shows, naked and afraid, alone. No, but but to your point, you're really making me want to get out and go actually live more of that. Not Another necessarily- thing about, about Zach you're going to like that you don't know, Zach likes kettlebells. Oh, well, that is good. Yeah, I, well, the, the workout routine is important. I, I resisted strength training my entire life and, and I wanted to get into shape during, you know, get into better physical condition. I was stuck at home during the pandemic, of course, like all of us. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to order some kettlebells and like order the the simple and sinister book. And uh, it's, it's been life-changing in terms of in, in, you know, like, like having that strength, I think is it's just it, get ups it, and swings, right? It's, it's get ups and swings. And I, you know, I add some other stuff and I add some other stuff in there too, you know, like, like some clean and press, you know, like clean and press and, sure. and stuff like stuff like that. But, it, but, but like get ups and swings are kind of the, 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 the foundation of, of what yeah, I do. Pablo knows his stuff. I mean, if just two exercises, you know, add some stretching and you've got a complete routine. For those of you who who don't know, and there are probably some, but kettlebells look like little cannonballs with with, uh, with a handle, yeah. handles, right? And like I, this isn't going to turn into a, a kettlebell podcast, although it could. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about it that is different than weight training. And I, like you, had no interest in weight training, but kettlebells, I absolutely love. True story though, Steve gave me a kettlebell for my birthday one year and I was so annoyed that I asked him to go get me something else. <laughs> but yeah. now, thank you, Steve, for that kettlebell. You're welcome. It, I mean, it I also changed that, my I life. You'd, you'd love it because I, I knew that you were a workout person. You, you enjoyed pushing yourself in that way. The thing about kettlebells is that there's no isolation exercise. It's all whole body. And that's mm. different. That's mm. different. Your whole body, you're moving your whole body one time. So you can see where the weak links are. That kind of fitness translates to the real world much better than any isolation exercise or, you know, working on a machine or things like that. Kettlebells are the real deal. They're probably the single smartest fitness implement I've ever seen in my life. It just makes you feel alive. (laughs) And you can open jars like no one's business. That's right. Like the the grip strength that it gives you. Now, you know, there was a British fitness magazine. They did this interview with a whole bunch of different fitness people. And they asked if what was the one routine that you would give to people of any age, especially older people. But if there was one thing, one exercise, what would you have them do? And one guy said, I just have them lay down on the floor and stand back up again over and over and over again. And really, that's all that that's that's all that Turkish getups are. You're just laying down on the floor and getting up and all the transitions in between when people talk about falling or having a hard time getting up off the floor and so forth and so on. 
That's primal movement. If you can't stand up and get down on the floor, you have a, you have more physical problems than you know than you can handle. You need to take care of that kind of basic thing and total fitness. You, you're not you have to think about. You got a piece of metal, a heavy piece of metal suspended over your head. You better be thinking about that thing. You're not thinking about your taxes. You're not thinking about the script. You're thinking about this thing that might crush your skull. So- Speaking. Of, oh my God, this is such a great transition. <laughs> Speaking of Speaking things of that can crush your skull. That might crush your th- skull. <laughs> We're going to continue talking about the great highs and lows and Hollywood feasts and famine, how to stay centered, and how to learn from your own storytelling right after we come back from this quick break. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. So, so Zach, you mentioned a couple things earlier that are that are mind blowing to me. I love that you got that advice to sock away a year's income because being a screenwriter is feast and famine, and and also this notion of your your high highs and your low lows. So I want to like unpack some of these things. Like you, you were at a moment of comeback. You're on a staff finally. When the last writer's strike happens, how many weeks were you into the room when that happened? I think we were about five months or so. Like oh, we okay. started that, that was... spr- we had started that spring, and I think it was like late October, early November. Don't quote me on that though. Oh, that, that's uh, when rooms when, were when longer. It, when it started. When it <laughs> yeah. started. Yeah, we were an old-fashioned fox, you know, like like we were a mid-season replacement. So the first the first season was supposed to be 13 episodes and we ended up doing nine. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and and there, there was a not so wonderful experience. I remember being on the picket line at Warner Brothers at the Teamsters at the Teamsters gate with it at four o'clock in the morning. And uh, and I start seeing these people come through and they're extras who are all in like hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. And kind of post-apocalyptic stuff. And I realized it's like, oh, they're shooting our episode right now. Wow. So Oof. here with my little on strike thing, oh, watching the wow. extras come in to, to do our episode on the lot that that we couldn't watch, you know, and it was Aww. it was gonna be my first episode of TV that I actually got to see 
you know, because oh. because the the stuff before was up in Canada. So so and that's I hard. That. How do well, you the offices in Andromeda were up in Canada, right? I've seen the, the offices in Andromeda were, were in you. L.A. They were in L.A. Yeah, we, I met you in Studio City. I met you at that Radford lot. Oh, OK. And then and then they, it shot in Vancouver. Right. That's um, what you're thinking. I went on set with them once in Vancouver. So this is kind of a family affair, this story. How did you I mean, what's the feeling? How do you process like you're in this great high and then boom, instant, almost disappointment? Uh, you know, it's it's a game of endurance. I like to say that sometimes Hollywood is about is about beating your head against a brick wall and having the absolute faith that that wall is going to give way before your head does. And, Ooh, and you just, you just keep at, you just keep at it. And in terms of the kind of career lows that I've had, the big thing as a writer that I always try and remember is that at the end is as much as you feel like you are at the mercy of other people at the end of the day you have the tools to write your way out of any slump that it's that it's you are only one great script away from completely turning from completely turning things around i had you know i mean i'm skipping ahead a little bit but i'll, I'll be honest i had a really tough 2022 it's, I, I had a bunch of things, you know, it was still recovery from COVID. I had a bunch of things that looked like they were great prospects, not hit. I had things that were, you know, like, like things that were, that were supposed to happen, not happening because the financing fell through, you know, the, all the stories that you get, all the, all the stories that you get in Hollywood, but it was just, I, I, as I said to someone, I like, I felt like I was rolling gutter balls all, you know, rolling gutter balls all, all year. And I took a step back and I realized that the thing that I had been doing was I had been chasing, I, I, I had been like a dog chasing after balls that other people were throwing. It was, it was going up for a bunch of assignments. It was, Hey, we got this thing. Can you make it work? And it's, you know, that thing that you do, it's like, yeah, I can maybe see the good version of your terrible idea in there somewhere. And, and none of those things had paid off. So what I did was I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I am going to spec out one of the kind of many ideas that I've had floating around for a while. And I had had a, a pitch that I had from a couple of years before that I'd been really excited by. And the pitch had been to one place and it hadn't sold, but I owned it. I owned all of that intellectual property. And I went back and realized, I was like, this is almost an outline. And so I spent mm. a month last December just sitting down and writing that into a spec. And then I sent it to a friend at a company that I've done business with before and got back an immediate like, oh, we really like this. We have, can we take it into our deal with Netflix? And, you know, fast forward a month or so and Netflix ended up buying it. Yes. All of a sudden it's like, all right. Yeah, maybe yeah, I love that. it. Maybe yeah. I'm not. <laughs> You know, it's that, 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 that feeling, you know, that, that feeling when a few things don't hit and, you know, maybe it's just me, 
But, you know, and I'm also getting to the age where it's like, God, am I just done? Is Hollywood just kind of done? Is, is Hollywood just kind of done with me? And then, you know, and then it's, you know, you sell something and it's like, no, I'm back and I'm better than ever. <laughs> so often we grapple with that feeling that this is like a dog about to shake us off like we're fleas, you know, when we work. And, and you know, it's how it is. It's difficult. But what I love about your story was the self-empowerment piece. And it also speaks to how to transition between TV and film. You know, now Hollywood does not buy a lot of spec scripts. So first of all, huge kudos to you for that. Thank you. That is not an easy thing to do. But at the same time, there is a path, TV writers, you know, to to opening that door. If someone's not hiring you to write the feature, you write your feature. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult path, but it's, it's, we, I I feel very strongly that we have the tools, we have the tools within us to, to do it. And, you know, the, the, I can't give away what it is, but the thing that I wrote was this big commercial piece of entertainment, but it was also very personal at the same time. It's about, you know, it's, it's that there's a lot of stuff in there that's, that's, from my life experience, from my very particular interests in history and mythology and things and things like that. And it's and it's that thing that 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 writers always have to focus in on, is especially in a business like this, which is which is what do I bring to the table that no other person does? What like what is unique about me and how is that? How can I make that interesting to other people? How can I make that interesting to other people? And it's it's whether it's your background, whether it's your interests, whether it's it's your passions, you know, like 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 people are that people are going to are going to get that. That's great. That's so great. True. It, it really it really is. I like the fact that you're talking about it in such a practical way. You know, that the passion is there and that sense of art, which is trying to find your unique gift to give to the world. But you're also looking at it as like, it's just a job. Don't take it personally. You know, this is the game. Let me understand the the playing field. Let me do the best I can. I have to have endurance. I have to make different moves. You know, all of that. There's a lot to unpack there, Zach. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you're absolutely right in that it is a business. At the end of the day, we are, you know, if if you want to write for film and TV, you, you know, when you walk through the door or you get on the Zoom, the people on the other end of the end of the call have to be thinking, this person could make me a lot of money. Yes. Uh, Or this person could get me a promotion if, if if i i take the if i take their project and it's mm. it's it, you know it it you you do have to you know th- this is art that we that we have to make with the buyer in mind and with the audience in mind and finding a way to knit and braid together the deeply personal but with also a commercial sensibility and sometimes it happens almost accidentally that's the story of jordan peele's get out right? Like he didn't know in his first draft, it was even about race. It was about being on the outside of a circle. And he brought it closer to his personal experience, $4.5 million little movie, $250 million that thing makes because it's so universal. So yeah, it's, it's, he, he found the universal in the specific, in the specific. Yes. And, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's partly about race in America and it's partly about, you know, meeting your future in-laws for the first time and, and, and 
fearing that they might not like you. True, (laughs) true. Which Yeah, that question, who can you trust also? If you can't trust the people who love you, who you're sleeping with, or who you, who say that they're your allies, then, you know, I think that he was digging into his own sense of alienation and questions about himself in the world. And part of that is simply existential, but part of that is social and related to race. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you can line those things up, you've got something that everybody can identify with and talk about over the water cooler the next day. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, you know, is his his next film? I know, you know, it's it did well. It didn't do, you know, it wasn't quite the spectacular s- success, but it had that great kind of germ of an idea, which is like, is my happiness is is my happiness is my prosperity in life somehow connected to someone else's misery? Yes. And, and what does that mean? And what does that mean? Absolutely. And I think that his third film. Nope was even more personal. I think th- that Nope was about his fear of being eaten by Hollywood, that you can't look at the beast. You have to focus on the work, yes. that, that, the, that the beast is going to be there, you know, and, it, and it, it eats creative people and craps money, you know, so it's literally <laughs> you, you, you can't look at it. You'll get frozen with fear. And I think that what you've got there is an intensely personal artist who has found a way to connect to the zeitgeist and can connect to the larger public. That's, isn't that what everybody's really wants? And yeah. I love, yeah. And it's always interesting when someone that idiosyncratic can, can, can somehow find a way of making that resonate with a, with a bigger audience. I felt like it, it, this is a weird comparison, but like in the late eighties and early nineties, it felt like Tim Burton was really, was really doing that. Like mm. his, his, his weird little, his his weird little theater kid imagination and things like Edward Scissor Scissorhands, what a bizarre freaking movie mm-hmm. uh, was was you know like he was making these big hits. Yeah, but but no one else felt like him, uh, yeah. and and that's the message. You know, I, I agree. Writers and and here's another transition. How's this, guys? Speaking of the way Hollywood kills you, <laughs> what by hitting you with coins. That's what your latest residuals check looks like. Oh, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But I kid you, Hollywood. No, what I mean is, how do writers in the midst of the strike, especially screenwriters, find other ways to create joy for themselves and also learn from their work? There's something you mentioned you're working on. I thought you might want to get into here. Yeah, in in terms of in terms of creating joy, I think there's the you know there, there's the solidarity of of you know, like meeting other writers, especially if you're a feature writer and, you know, the, you, you like live in a little hobbit hole and you only come out, you know, like the groundhog to see your shadow every once in a while, you know, like, like suddenly you're actually talking face to face with other writers. And I, I remember it was one of the great joys of the, and, and it sounds strange to say joy, but it really was of the, of the 2007, 2008 strike was, was, I got to meet my heroes, you know, mm. like the people it's like, Oh, you're the guys who wrote Ed Wood. Mm. So, you know, like, can we talk? And they're bored. They're happy to talk to you about it. And you get, you get all those great Hollywood stories, which are the best. Yes. And, and, and just, you know, make, make friendships. So there there's that. And then there's, you know, there there's finding time to work on things that you are allowed to work on. You can write a spec during uh, you know you can write a if if you're writing for yourself that's totally fine or you know in in my case 
you know, like I've just been invited to, to host a podcast about Westerns, which, which I would love to have you both as guests on. Oh, heck yeah. Like it's going, that would be, that would be fun. You're on mute. Yeah. Please. Yeah, absolutely. I love Westerns. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My, my concept, I'll, I'll, I'll tease the concept for it a little bit. My concept is that each episode would do be two movies. One would be a classic Western and another would be a movie that either inspired that film or was inspired by it from a different genre. So you you could do like Rio Bravo and assault on precinct 13, or you could do Seven Samurai yes. and Seven. Yeah, no, there I was just thinking of that. I was trying to think of those. Um, I was trying to come out. With God, those. what was that one? The Richard Widmark one where he pushes the woman down the stairs? I can't remember. Uh, that's not a Western. It's, it's a, a noir. noir. It's a noir film. But it inspired a B-Western called The Fiend Who Walked the West. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. You're talking to the right people, Zach, is what, yeah. is what we're like, saying. Or like, you know, Outlaw Josie Wales and Logan. You know, like, like uh, I... I, I, right. I the whole idea is to both talk to people who are fans of the genre and talk to people who think that they're not fans of the genre in a way that makes them realize that, oh, a lot of my favorite films are actually just very thinly disguised Westerns. Interesting. Sure. I love that. I'm working on an animated project that I'm tremendously excited by, and it hasn't been formally announced yet, so I can't really go into go into specifics, but... It is based on a, it's based on a true story and it's set largely in the animal world. And these animals are, have incredible personalities. And I'm finding myself that I'm learning life lessons from just reading about them and how they live their, and how they live their lives. And the fact that, that they combine that, that these animals can combine bravery and strength with, with kindness and empathy at the, at the same time, the, the, the whole idea that nature is always red and tooth and claw is, is not true at all. That, that you, you find as many, you, you find as many examples of great kindness in the animal kingdom as you do, you know, ruthless survival. That's true. That's something I've been learning from Instagram to be perfectly honest, you know, like animals just randomly being nice to each other that shouldn't even be meeting each other. There's no way you two should even be friends, but yet you are. So that's, that's fantastic. I'm glad you have that right now. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then uh, you're you're working on this during the strike. You're working on this, you know, that has nothing to do with anybody else. You're working on this. How are you seeing the strike right now? Just, you know, what is your reaction to this? Because you went through another one. Back yeah, in true. I've been super impressed by the solidarity so far and the amount of support that the writers have gotten from other unions, especially the so-called below-the-line unions, the like the Teamsters, IOTSE, the, the people who make up the crews, the mm-hmm. ones who actually make 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 television and, and films. That feels very different from 2007, 2008. But we, I think the proof, you know, how the strike is going to go is going to really be determined by the next 10 days or so, because in the next 10 days or so, we are going to find out whether or not the actors, the Screener Actors Guild, SAG, are going to make a deal or whether they're going to go on strike. Mm-hmm. If they go on strike, 
it's a whole new ball game. Suddenly we have very attractive people on the picket line with, with all, all of us writers are going to have these incredibly attractive people on the picket line with, with us. Our signs will be much more clever, but, but, <laughs> but they'll probably get more, they'll probably get more Instagram views. Joking aside, it, it means, you know, like like two guilds on strike at the same time. I, I don't know when the last time it's happened yet, but it's it but it means it's a whole new ball game. If, on the other hand, the actors make a deal, which they very well might because they have some specific asks that the companies might be in the position to to make. Then all of a sudden, the two other above the line guilds, the directors and the actors will have will have both just made deals and the writers will be out on, on, on our own. And then it's, then it's the question of how long do we keep going, going alone or, or does this open up a path towards a settlement? If nothing else, the, the AMPTP, the, the organization that represents the studios and the streamers have said they will only negotiate with one guild at a time. So there, there's, there's no talks going on because they're talking to the, to the actors right now. So uh, once that resolves one way or another, it, the very least, it opens the door to the two sides starting to talk to, to the two sides starting to talk again. So, so then it, it would, it would be much more likely that there'd be some kind of a settlement by, you know, probably like end of July or August. August. So they're, they're, you know, I feel like Morpheus holding the, holding the different pill or, you know, it's, or, or actually, no, it's not even Morpheus. It's uh, Agent Smith, you know, saying, I see two, you know, one has a future, one doesn't, you know, like, like the, there are definitely two very different ways that things could go. I have no, I, you know, if you put a gun to my head and said, said, which way is it going to go? I would say you'll have to pull the trigger because I have no idea. It's 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 anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen with the with the actors is lying to you. Yeah, here it's pretty airtight. There aren't any leaks coming out. So yeah, yeah. So we'll, well see. So we'll we'll know we'll know soon. Well, I, I like as I like to say because it has been such a feast and famine industry. We are kind of trained for this kind of uncertainty. It's 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 a Tuesday for a lot of writers. If you're not sure where your next check is coming from. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the incredibly long wait that they make us, even when they're, we do have a deal, like the amount of time that you have to wait to get paid has trained us to be very, to be very careful with our, with our, with our money. So, so, so yeah, it's a little bit of a, I can do the Captain America. I can do this all day thing with, with writers, but I, I hope we don't have to, because, you know, joking aside, the longer this goes on, the the harder it's going to be for 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 people and for you know for the crews that are that are that are yes. idled. So I yes. really hope we can make a fair we can make a fair and equitable deal and and make it sooner rather than later. So you know, we can all get back to work. Your exactly. lips to God's ears. I mean, one of the things that you know, we're talking about how the success belongs to those who can take the most stress. The stress of getting people to take you seriously and treat you fairly is part of life in general, being, being able to know your worth and being willing to stand up for it. We, the thing that we do here on, on Life Writing is to encourage people to take care of themselves and to build certain daily rituals that support them as well as produce the work and sustain the work 
and keep them sane so that they can enjoy their families, which is hopefully part of why they're doing, they're working in the first place is to create a life of, of joy. So one of the things that we have, you know, at this, at this point in the broadcast, always to talk about the fire dance program, which is a morning ritual of action and thought and, and speech that is used to create you know, a, a high energy creative life. And we have various versions of that, you know, from the blessing dance that Tanarev and I do every day together to sort of get married again every single day to the ritual that we do with our son. But it all starts with that, with the individual, just like just, just like the individual artist. So we would, we would really encourage people to go over to firedancetaichi.com because it, it combines these things with physical motion. The idea is to move your body and use your emotions and your mind all at the same time. It's like the sort of human laser metaphor. And firedancetaichi.com is where you can find out more about this. And we're always talking about it. This is, these are techniques that we use and we teach every single day. Yeah. I love that. I love that because I, you know, like, like creativity is a muscle, you know, like, and, and learning how to live, learning how to live in a certain, in a certain way puts you in touch with that creativity and lets you access it in 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 a way that that not having mindfulness you know can can often can often you know it, it make creativity feel like that balloon that you that you let go of yes. you and you see you see drifting off you know your creative self is your child self just wants to play just wants to spin stories but then you need to have a strong adult to both keep that child doing its homework, but also to protect it from, well, I would ordinarily have said just predators of various kinds, which can include your business, you know, the people you're in business with, if they're out for themselves and they're not thinking kindly of you right now, you know, the studios where, you know, we, the, the artists in the studios are like two, I don't know, two different animals that are trying to feed on the same carcass. <laughs> trying okay, to yeah. Who's going to get what? <laughs> I know someone who I, I know a producer who worked with with Tom Hanks a lot, and apparently, like Tom Hanks, really is that guy that you see on screen. He really is a good, wholesome, earnest, and decent guy. But mm -hmm. the one thing that he will say, supposedly, when he feels that 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 people are are grabbing too much because of that, is is a very simple: "I will not allow you to take advantage of my good nature." Mm -hmm. Amen. And Amen. like, I try and keep that little mantra in my mind of like, of like, you know, be a good person, be open to other people, but do not, you know, but set limits and realize when people are trying to take advantage of that. Absolutely. And, and frankly, the entire history of Hollywood is a tradition of disrespecting writers and treating writers as, as less than their worth. So I think we're kind of like playful children to them. And we have to show them, yeah, we have that playful child side and we nurture that playful child side. But, so, but you're you're meeting the grown up today. Where where can people find out more about you or is there anything that you'd like to make sure that they know or how they can reach you or what, you know, what um, your closing statements? I, yes, I'm pretty accessible on Twitter under the on which I I in spite of my best efforts, still spend too much time on, but I've, I've made, I've made some very good friends there and I am there on Muzak, which is a pun, M-U-S-E-Z-A-C-K, 
with the with the little at symbol at the at, at the beginning. So I'm I'm Muzak. I'm also there there on Instagram. Though if you see me on Instagram, it will probably just be pictures of me and my dogs on a on a hike, <laughs> on a hike somewhere. It's not um, the same. I mean, the pictures are great, but but the text. But I'm made. happy to you know, and 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 on Twitter, I try and keep it positive. I try and share. I try and share thoughts about about popular culture and thoughts about screenwriting and 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 sometimes I'll do a deep dive into a movie that I'm watching and really try and try and take it apart and look at the different pieces and and kind of walk people through this is why I think this is this is why I think this works so so well. So I, I enjoy doing that and I enjoy I enjoy talking to to people and I enjoy I enjoy trying to help new people in the business find their find their way and 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 become the best writers they they can be so so you can find me there and you can find me on netflix yes we can some of the things that i've been involved in so so thank you so much for having me on the having me on the show this has been one of my one of my favorite experiences of this sort Oh, that's great. And you were fantastic. This is so valuable for the listeners and your positivity just shines through. And we can't wait to be on your podcast if we can be of service to you. Absolutely. I want everyone make yourself the hero or heroine in your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.